Asia Pacific Report with Sanusha Naidu. Morning, Sanusha, and welcome back. All the best for the new year ahead. Good morning, and thank you for having me back, and as well as thank you and the listeners. China's COVID impact on Chinese travelers? Um, this has quite been a big story in the week that uh, we've been off air, as well as in the fact that the Chinese had lifted heavy lockdown restrictions. So what we saw was a surge in COVID uh, infections. And of course, it was mainly vulnerable people like the elderly who had become um, highly infected by the, by the, by the um, virus. But what has happened is that the COVID virus that now has become quite, an, quite a, a pandemic in China, if you think about it, has led to other countries deciding whether or not they want uh, travelers from China, particular Chinese travelers, to take uh, PCR tests, to actually have uh, negative tests or to do screening and testing when they arrive. So in the U.S., not the U.S., the, the EU, you've got countries like Italy asking the EU to actually follow suit and apply a uniform approach in terms of travelers from, the, from China, and I suspect it's Chinese travelers more than anything else, to be screened or to actually produce a negative test when they arrive or on arrival. Other countries um, like New Zealand have decided that they would not go down that route and similarly in South Africa. But what it has done is that it actually caused quite a diplomatic stir by China against some of the countries who are pulling no punches, uh, remembering that in 2020 there was this whole debate about whether China should be taken to task over the fact that it is in Wuhan, that the whole first kind of COVID um, uh, a, a COVID, um, not test, but rather the COVID pandemic or the COVID virus had emerged out of uh, Wuhan. So I think at the end of the day, what you're beginning to see is, again, China having to navigate not just a domestic crisis and a health crisis and a public health crisis, but it also have to now that, uh, um, navigate the way in which uh, it's become a global public diplomacy challenge for it. Um, and it's becoming quite heated in diplomatic circles about trying to push back uh, Chinese travel travelers and so forth. And airlines are also now getting caught in the middle of all of this. Mm. Google accuses India's watchdog of copying and pasting EU's Android ruling. Yeah. So what happened there was um, Google has alleged that India's competition watchdog had copied parts of the EU ruling in order to find them. Um, and, and what they're arguing is that um, the, 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 the Indian watchdog um, basically had used what has been a platform um, where tech companies or what you would call uh, companies in the gig economy have been actually under the uh, microscope for violations um, with regard to how they've been monopolizing the market, violations around um, what they've been doing in terms of antitrust laws and cases and so forth. So in October, the Indian regulator 
fined Google, I think, around about $157 million for using its Android platform to dominate the market. Now, the Competition Commission of India had accused Google of entering into one-sided agreements with smartphone makers, and hence they've dominated the app market. In other words, um, what happens is that you just don't buy a smartphone. Once you buy a smartphone, you've got to then upload um, all of the apps from the Google Google Play Store. Um, if you are on an iPhone by Apple, then you have to go to the Apple uh, 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 store. So, in other words, these companies like Google, etc., um, kind of enter into these agreements with smartphone makers. And in India, we know that they have quite a few smartphone c- c- companies that make uh, smartphones. So, what they arguing is that the the Indian government essentially by actually accusing Google of maybe contravening national company law as well as um, um, anti-competitive behavior and trust behavior. The argument is that um, the, the ruling itself, according to Google, has been basically a, a cut, copy, and paste from the European Commission's ruling in terms of where they are arguing, the Google lawyers are arguing, that they found evidence from Europe that was not examined in India. And they're also saying that there's more than 50 times or 50 instances where they've shown or been able to see copying from the European Commission's ruling. Um, and, and based on this, they are now saying that um, India or the competition tribunal in India is, is, is essentially not giving them a fair hearing in the context. So in a sense, what Google is arguing is that whilst the, 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 the competition uh, tribunal of India, the competition watchdog in India is saying that Google is abusing its licensing of the Android operating systems for smartphones, Google says, well, if that's so, your ruling is not based on what is happening in the Indian market. It seems to me uh, what they are arguing is whether or not the uh, Competition uh, Commission of India has actually basically looked at it from an Indian market perspective, or has it actually thought we need to push back on, on Google and therefore there's this dispute that has, arose, that has arisen in this context. Yes, uh, rather a unique situation, undoubtedly. Uh, let's move on and let's look at the situation in Japan. And uh, we understand that Japan has taken up a position of a non-permanent seat of the United Nations Security Council. Yeah, so every every couple of years you'll have countries that will rotate on the Security Council as non-permanent members. Um, South Africa finished its last rotation of a third uh, non-permanent seat um, term, I think it was towards the end of 2021. Um, so, Tokyo has taken on its non-permanent seat um, and in terms of uh, it's the 12th time since it became a member of the Security Council since 1956. Uh, previous times in terms, the previous term that it held the seat, the non-permanent seat was in 2016, 2017. And of course, it holds the presidency of the council in January 2023. Now, 
obviously, Japan is one of those countries that is looking quite seriously and lobbying quite seriously for the reform of the UN Security Council to expand membership as well as to expand um, the um, the way in which the process of the UN system works. So under its presidency at the moment, it's basically looking at peace and security. And in the speech on Monday that the Prime Minister Kishidi had made, um, the first thing he did was to condemn Russia for its aggression on Ukraine, arguing that the country, uh, being one of the five veto-wielding permanent security members, that is Russia, is attempting to break the international order. Now, this is going to be a big challenge for, for Japan and for the Japanese authority, because as a non-permanent member, you've also got to be remembering that your your term on the, on the, on the Security Council as a non-permanent member will define as well what you push, what you get, how do you actually navigate diplomacy, what kind of negotiations you go forward. The two big challenges or the two big stakes that the Chinese, that the, 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 the Japanese have to worry about is how they actually push resolution, how they align with the P3, that is the U.S., U.K., uh, and, and um uh, and, and France. And the other one is that there will have to be a constant battle line drawn between uh, China and Russia against Japan. So Japan is the, the, that country that finds itself in that position where it's much more aligned to the West. Uh, it's going to head up the G7 this year. And so one of the challenges, I think, is constantly finding a, a, a avenue in which, even though in the first speech, and as pre- President, Prime Minister Kashidi has said, um, this will not bode well for the Russians. And, and of course, if there are other legislation or other issues or resolutions that come in terms of the UN Security Council, it's very likely that even the Ch- Chinese may have uh, particular objections to what um, Japan is putting forward. So I think that's why, you know, at a cross uh, talking about Japan's two-year term as a non-secure, a non-permanent member of the Security Council, I think is going to be a very interesting one for Japan because one of the region it comes from, two its alignment to the G7 and 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 the fact that it's a part of the Quad, and second and thirdly, um, it basically wants a reformed U- UN Security Council with the possibility and. And, and a real possibility of having uh, a seat on the Reform Council. But again, there's going to be incredible tensions between itself and other countries, in particular Japan, uh, China and Russia. Certainly we'll watch out for those developments. Sinusha, thank you very much for your time, and you have a lovely day. You too. Take care. Go well. Bye-bye. That was uh, Sinusha Naidu with the weekly edition of the Asia-Pacific report, in the report uh, picking up on the Japan issue on the Security Council, uh, as well as the COVID issue from China. Uh, Those are the big issues of focus this morning on the report. Stay tuned.